until the point in which that bot would tell you that something was wrong with your account and would ask if you recognize a certain transaction. And you would say, no, this, this wasn't me. And that bot would put you in a state of mind of worry. Okay, someone's trying to hack my bank account. I need to do something. And at some point, they would ask for your password and they would ask also for the OTP code. It was a really smart attack. was happening at scale because it was a bot. So we put our solution to work there. During the test, we were able to reduce fraudulent activity by more than 90%. My name is Andre Faraz. I'm CEO and co-founder at Incognito. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lampart, and today how Andre Faraz built the solution to give you a unique fingerprint based on your device's location data. All this and more on Code Story. Andre Faraz was influenced heavily by his parents, as they were both computer scientists. When he was 10 years old, his first science project was themed around computer hacking, which got a lot of surprise at the science fair. Outside of tech, he enjoys to surf on a shortboard several times a week and loves to spend time with his family. Twelve years ago, Andre had the amazing idea to create a unique identity for end users based on their location data. The market wasn't ready. They weren't in need of this solution at the time. But after academically exploring it, he and his team recognized that GPS alone would not be enough. This is the creation story of Incognia. So what Incognia does is we, we basically tap into the sensors of, of the mobile device to get to more granular uh, location data. So instead of relying only on the GPS and things like that, We, we tap into things like Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, etc. And with that, we're able to create what we call a location fingerprint for each environment that your smartphone visits, right? So with that, we're able to locate the mobile device more accurately. Over time, for each user, we build what we call a behavioral identity, right? So we, we're basically trying to understand your behavioral patterns, the places in which you spend most of your time, etc. And then we use that in order to secure your mobile accounts, right? So for example, we see that about 85% of new mobile banking accounts are opened when the user is at home, right? If we're able to recognize that behavioral pattern, we can then enable more users to create banking accounts because we're basically reducing risk for the bank by increasing the rate of, of identities that are correctly verified, right? Another example of that is that about 90% of the logins in 95% of the high-risk financial transactions that occur on mobile applications occur from what we call trusted locations, right? Those are basically places that you visit most frequently, like your office, your home, etc. And by doing that, we're able to deliver two things. One, more security for mobile consumers, but at the same time, a frictionless experience. So instead of relying, for example, on a password or biometrics or things that really create some some friction uh, on, on the user experience, we're able to eliminate that by simply identifying that you are in a safe environment and then letting you in more easily. So essentially what we're doing here 
is a location-based authentication, leveraging mobile sensors to improve security and improve the user experience for mobile applications. The story, though, is it goes back a few years. When I started my career in about 12 years ago, I started as a security researcher and I was working on an IoT project. And the idea was basically to try to figure out new forms of authentication for the IoT. Because when we talk about the Internet of Things, there are many challenges when it comes to authentication. The first one is related to security. Those devices are very poor computationally, so you're not able to like apply the, the best cryptography to those, those devices. Right? They're just not powerful enough for, for many of those things. The second issue is user experience, right? which is in a few years, we're going to enter a place, let's say a physical store or our home or our office, and we are going to connect to multiple IoT devices at the same time, right? Probably dozens or even hundreds of devices because everything is going to be connected. So if we have to, for example, rely on the current authentication factors that we use in our daily lives, like passwords or biometrics, for example, it, it won't be a very practical thing, right? To, to go there and, and type your password to access hundreds of devices at a time. So we also had to find a way to automatically and seamlessly connect that user to the surrounding devices in that environment. So there was an issue here of like balancing security and, and user experience. And this is when uh, I came up with this idea of leveraging location, right? Because with that, you would be able to connect the, the user to the surrounding devices seamlessly. But at the same time, uh, got to the conclusion that each person has a unique location behavior. So we could use that as a form of identity that differently than our fingerprint or our face, it's an identity that is constantly changing. So it's harder for an attacker to impersonate you with those signals. So that was the original idea 12 years ago, but the timing wasn't right. It, it wasn't a, a real problem in the market to, to build a startup on top of this idea. So for a long time, we treated it as, as an academic project. We recognized that to build this, the GPS signal would not be enough. And the main reason was the GPS was not accurate enough. So we had to find a way to locate the user's personal device, in this case, the smartphone, very accurately. So this is how we got into all this. Let's dive into the MVP then. So tell me about that first product you built. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? When we recognized that uh, the, the GPS was not enough, the next step we decided to take was, okay, how can we locate users using other signals, right? It was, it was around 2011. So like the app store was still a new thing, um, like the, the APIs for uh, developing for iPhones and, and Android devices were still very new. One of the things we, we thought would be a good idea was to leverage Wi-Fi signals, right? Because every place has at least one Wi-Fi router. So we started trying to, to understand that signal. Uh, we ended up trying different methods. The original method we, we tried was triangulation. So we basically, by knowing 
the location of the Wi-Fi access points and also by understanding the, the signal strengths to that, that your smartphone is, is seen from each of these hotspots, we would be able to kind of like calculate where you are based on those, those things. The issue though was in a real world scenario, like if, if we wanted to do this at a global scale, we wouldn't really know where those access points are located. So that, that created a, a few challenges. So we decided to, to change the strategy and to start doing what we call location fingerprinting, which is pretty much the opposite way. So assuming we know the, the user's current location and we're able to see the surrounding Wi-Fi routers, we basically create a, a, a fingerprint for that place that contains the, the combination of the geolocation information, so the, the GPS coordinates, the lat longs, to, to the Wi-Fi routers. And then we started deploying a lot of algorithms to adjust that and, and to make it better, to clusterize those signals, to find different locations that look very similar because of the similarity of, of the Wi-Fi signals, etc. And we ended up building a solution that uh, in 2014, for example, we presented it in, in Berlin in a, in a conference that was sponsored by uh, ACM and also Microsoft Research. And we tested it against many other indoor location technologies. And we ended up with a pretty good result, uh, reaching 2.8 meter accuracy, which is about 30 times more accurate than the GPS. So, okay, so from that point of an MVP, or from that point of the first product, how did you progress it and mature it? I think to give a little more context to that question, I'm interested in how you built your roadmap and how you decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. From 2010 to 2014, right, we were laser focused on building the best location technology uh, that, that we could, right? So we ended up building this, we ended up overcoming the, the accuracy of the, the GPS by 30 times. But the, the problem we were trying to solve, which was around authentication for IoT devices, etc., was still not relevant from a market standpoint, right? So in 2014, you, you wouldn't see anyone complaining that uh, their IoT device or IoT network got hacked, etc., right? So it wasn't a real problem. So we thought, okay, it's maybe too early for this idea. Even though we have this cool location technology, we cannot apply it to solve this problem. The problem doesn't really exist at scale. Like people are not willing to pay for, for that solution. We tried several things. Like the first try was to build an app for shopping malls because we thought that this would be a way to monetize the location technology because people got lost. And then the shopping mall would pay for, for us to build an app for them that, that will help their customers like locate themselves and, and find the stores, etc. The feedback really that we got from the shopping mall uh, was, okay, like it's good for me that my customers get lost because then they're going to shop more. Um, I, I want them to stay as much as possible inside of my shopping mall. So we didn't make any, any money by building apps for, for shopping malls. We spent quite some time trying to sell it. So, so the next idea that we tested was, let's try other places, let's try airports or museums. But instead of trying to sell to them directly, why don't we build a platform so other developers can come in, leverage this location technology uh, to build their own apps for uh, these venues, right? And we tried it to make any money, didn't gain any traction. 
And then the, the third thing that we decided to build was right after having a conversation with an e-commerce company. And when we told them about this technology, they, they said, well, I, I only sell online, but my competitors, they also sell in physical stores. Why don't you build a product that uses your technology to recognize that people are at those stores so I can advertise my product to them with better offers? And it was like, okay, that seems to be interesting. And it was finally the product that we've built in 2015 that started gaining traction. So it was a different way to monetize this location technology. But to be honest with you, it wasn't really like the original thing that we wanted to do. Targeted marketing, advertising, etc. wasn't really the, the application that we, we were dreaming to build, but the application that could enable us to survive for enough time for the timing for our security slash authentication idea uh, would be viable. So we jumped in, we built the product, and then it scaled very quickly. Like in three years, the company was making tens of millions of dollars, profitable, growing fast. The, the team has grown a lot until 2020. And this was a big, big problem for us because uh, the, the product ended up going in a different direction instead of enabling e-commerce companies to drive traffic to their websites using this location technology. Our main customers were actually physical stores that will, were leveraging this technology to drive foot traffic to their stores by advertising to people that were nearby. So the issue was 2020 pandemic, physical stores are, are, are closed. We lost 95% of our revenues in a single month. And it was like, oh my God, what do we do now? And what we did was we, we had to act very quickly Let's sell this business. Let's try to sell it for as, as much as we can to generate some cash here so we can then invest in the next product because we don't know how long this pandemic is going to last. We need to sell it. We need to figure out something. And then we sold it to our biggest customer at the time. And we used then the, the proceeds of that sale uh, to start Incognit, finally. So 10 years later, we go back and we say, okay, now it's the time to use our location technology for security and authentication purposes. In late 2020, after selling the business to our largest customer, we launched Incognia with this vision of creating what we call now a location identity, right? So this is how we got to Incognia. I'm glad that Incognia now is finally growing very quickly, even faster than the other business, but it was a very, very challenging moment for us. In those moments, it's important to be surrounded by a team that is in the trenches with you. So tell me about how you built your team and, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? When we got started uh, like 12 years ago, my colleagues that were working on this research project they, they were the first one to, to join, right? So we started working together. We actually had worked together in different projects because we were from the same class in college. And then when we transitioned from a research project to an actual company, my personal goal was to build the best possible team that, that we could. So I spent a lot of time in recruiting. Our first hire was, was very key hire because we brought a guy that very early in his career, he grew very quickly. Right after college, he went straight to Google. Uh, he was promoted several times in a row. 
And then he got tired. <laughs> he, he was like, okay, I'm not feeling challenged, uh, even though I'm at this company that everybody looks after and seems amazing. But I'm, I'm not being challenged from a technical standpoint. And that was his motivation. When I came after him and I started talking about our like crazy startup idea, in which we didn't even know which product we, we were building because we were so fo focused on the tech. He recognized that, okay, this is a really hard problem to solve. I'm interested. And then he joined. And one thing I really believe is, I, I think about it as kind of a gravitational field of talent. So when you like start with a really dense talent pool, like a small team that is really good technically, uh, you start attracting other people that are also very good. So very early, uh, we started building this like very strong team from a technical standpoint. And we were able to build great tech. But the problem though was we were a bunch of techies that understood a lot about coding, but not really uh, much about business. So doing that transition for me personally was, was the most challenging thing because uh, I, I was leading the team, I was acting, as, as the CEO, but the reality is like, I, I was just a computer scientist that had no experience uh, doing, doing any business at all. So we had a very strong technical team, but I had to push them to start thinking more about business and uh, product and how to deliver value for, for users, uh, because that would be the real thing that would make this team and company successful. Let's flip to scalability. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this as you've grown and you know run into issues and changed models and things like that? Tell me about that. In our first few iterations, when we were still like just trying to to validate the model, no, it, it wasn't scalable. It wasn't scalable at all. The original version was basically on the mobile side. A mobile SDK. Uh, we had a, a monolith written in, in Ruby and Rails that did everything. By doing that, we were able to test these different products more more quickly because it was so easy to to develop. But once we found the first application using Location for for marketing purposes, uh, then we we started breaking that monolith uh, into a microservice architecture. We started using other, other languages to, to process the, the heavier stuff. And, and then it started becoming more scalable. Uh, today, it is very scalable. Uh, to, to give you a, a sense of scale, we're, we're currently uh, deployed in, in more than 200 million mobile devices. But those mobile devices are pinging us every single time because they're sending us data uh, about the, the user's behavior. And our, our cloud bill monthly is, is below 40K. So lots of scale, like billions of requests a day, and we're not really spending too much money from, from our customers and, and investors on, on cloud computing services. Well, Andre, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I would say that it took me a long time to really see the, the potential of the first idea around leveraging location as, a, as an authentication factor. As I, as I told you, like the, the timing wasn't right in the beginning. We were not able to sell it to anyone in, in the first few days. It took us 10 years to actually launch a 
commercial product around that idea and to really start it seeing traction. So after we deployed with our first customer and they were facing a lot of issues related to fraud, it was a digital bank, a neobank. And, and basically what would, was happening to them was some fraudsters have created social media bots that were pretty smart. Um, if you followed the neobank's page on social media, the bot would follow you back. And the bot had a very similar name to that neobank. It was pretty much the same name and, a, and an underscore after it. So you would think it was a neobank that, that was following you. Okay, fine. And then the bot started interacting with you, asking like if you were happy with the service, if you could reveal the app on the app store. So fine, nothing, nothing weird, right? Until the point in which that bot would tell you that something was wrong with your account and would ask if you recognize a certain transaction. And you would say, no, this, this wasn't me. And that bot would put you in a state of mind of worry, right? You would think, okay, someone is trying to hack my bank account. I need to do something. But then the bot very quickly said, okay, we can solve your problem. And they, they started sharing some like step-by-step -step process that the user should follow. And at some point they would ask for your password and they would ask also for the OTP code that was sent to your email or uh, to your phone number, right, via, via SMS. It was a really smart attack, was happening at scale because it was a bot, right? And then they, they also didn't want to increase uh, friction on the user experience. They didn't want to add new authentication factors. So we put our solution to work there. During the test, we were able to see that we were able to reduce fraudulent activity by more than 90%. And was, what was particularly interesting for me was that for the users that have shared location data, the fraud rate was zero. And it was a pretty large neobank. We were seeing about 30 million logins a month, and we were able to reduce fraud to 0% uh, for the users that were enabling location services. So for me, it was like, okay, this idea really works. Um, like leveraging location as an authentication factor uh, is really a thing. Uh, and for me, that, that was the, the key moment because like working for 10 years <laughs> to finally realize that the idea was, was good, was really, really good. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. As, as we were a, a team of engineers, right? And like pretty much everybody in the company comes from an engineering background. We, we always had a tendency of building the perfect solution and at that, that made us slow, right? For a startup, uh, trying to come up with the first version of our product already as, as close to perfect as you can, it's not really the, the best idea. So that was very risky. Uh, we actually almost died as a company because of that, because it, it took us a, a bit longer to launch the first versions of our product, right? So. I think the, the main thing we, we've learned from that experience was we should be more open to experiments. Obviously, now that we are in the security space, that's a little bit different, right? <laughs> you can't run experiments with, with end customers, but we can do a lot of stuff internally to just like test ideas and, and, and figure out if they work before building a, a more comprehensive solution and, and launching it to market. So, We've learned it actually pretty early in, in our lives when we were still 
in the in the marketing business so we were able to apply those learnings to this new business the the other thing was actually for me more important which was about really enabling the people who are building the product to have direct contact with the customer to hear from them directly so before starting incognito before uh, building this product when we were also in the marketing business we we had a a structure in which basically the sales people were bringing their insights from, from the customers to the product and, and engineering teams a lot of things got lost in translation right? like and we ended up building uh, features and products that were not really helping our customers because the information wasn't flowing very well so when we started building cognitive we changed that completely so today almost every sales call you, you're going to see uh, someone from the engineering team participating asking questions hearing directly from the customer hearing their objections and incorporating the the best ideas into the product that's actually one of the greatest features of being in this remote environment because now we can have our our technical teams joining uh sales activities um and 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 speaking directly to the customers more more easily. Well, what does the future look like for Incognito the product and for your team? We're very excited about this new phase. We recently raised Series A. So now we are starting to expand the the scope of our product. So so we started as a very specific solution for authentication on on native mobile applications, only leveraging location signals. After building this this location identity, we started adding some more layers. Like for example, we we built our own uh, device fingerprinting solution. Uh, we started adding some extra uh, security layers to the SDK. The the product has expanded a bit. Uh, now is a combination of device and location intelligence. But the next step now is to expand beyond the mobile channel. So we're we're. receiving a lot of demand from our customers because they're they're facing issues is also on the web browser environment so so the next step for us is to build a new version of our product that will cover not only native mobile apps but also uh, web applications so that's a big step for us because that's going to expand the scope of the product and another thing is to develop more fallback mechanisms for when we don't have access to location The user could simply say no, I don't want to share location with this app. So this is a, an opt-in process. We only capture data if the user let us do. Some users they decide not to share location data. Actually, we thought this would be a, an existential threat, but uh it, it we we no no longer think this way because we're seeing that usually more than 90% of the users are willing to share location data if they understand that this is going to be used to protect their accounts and to prevent fraud right so that's rewarding because when we were in the marketing space usually we saw like less than 30% of the users uh sharing data for for that purpose those are the two things expanding from mobile to mobile and web and also expanding from location only uh to to having more fallback mechanisms for when we don't have access to to that data point. So let's switch to you Andre, who influences the way that you work? You know, name someone you look up to and why. I'd say that the the main person is is actually my mom and the reason why is because she is 
for me the the most resilient person I ever met. She is Brazilian, like like I am.、Uh, she was born in a very poor family. To to give you a, a sense of perspective here,、uh, she had sixteen siblings, and eight of those have have died very young.、Um, basically, like very poor,、uh, didn't have the the conditions to to raise as many kids. So she came from a very very humble background in the countryside of of Brazil. Of the northeast of Brazil, which is a very poor region in the country, and she studied so much while she had a, a, a job still as a kid. Studied a lot. She entered two very good universities in in Brazil. Started both at the same time. Had a job on the side, so she had a full time job, two college degrees. With the the money she was making from that job,、uh, she was able to bring all of her siblings to. Uh, the, the capital, so they could have a chance of, of studying in, in, in better schools. And yeah, after that,、uh, had a, an amazing career. Was able to to bring their family out of poverty. Basically, it was a lot of people.、Uh, she was able to contribute a lot for for the family to change their reality. So for me, that was the best example of a, a phrase that my my father uses a lot, which is "nothing resists work." Right. If if you work hard enough, you're getting there. Nothing is going to stop you. And my mom, for me, is is the best example of of that. So if if my mom could do that, I believe that if I work hard enough, I, I can also achieve anything I want. Well, well, last question, Andre. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice? Do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I, I would say two things:、um, be patient and work hard. Nothing, nothing is a is an overnight success. All of these stories that we see about amazing companies that were built, like some of those grew very quickly in the early stages. That's that's real, but it was a lot behind the scenes to get to that point to to get to the. The first phase of of building that. So, for example, if if we if we look at Facebook, right, it, it looks like a, an overnight success story. Like Zuckerberg had that idea and built that product, and everybody started joining. But actually, prior to executing that idea, he actually tested a lot of things before, and and most of those ideas failed. Right, but he was there trying, building, learning until he got to the point of of launching a new thing that took took off very quickly. If we look at all of these stories of great companies,、um, I, I saw a graph recently that about 96% of the value of the the most valuable companies in the world are created after year 10. So the reality is, if you want to be very successful, you got to be very patient because if anxiety takes over and 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 you start feeling that things are not moving as quickly as you wanted,、uh, you're probably going to give up. And the reality is that the companies that fail, the startups that fail, they don't fail because the person lacks cash or because、uh, of competitors. In most cases, they fail because the founder gives up. You have to be very patient, but at the same time, you have to work a lot、uh, because you, you won't be rewarded if you're not putting putting the effort. That's fantastic advice. Well, Andre, thank you for being on the show today, and thank you for telling the creation story of Incognia. Was a pleasure. 
And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. <laughs>